to our show, Film Talk with AJ Dean. I'm AJ Dean, your host, and I have the wonderful and amazing co-host, Paul Vato from Las Vegas, Nevada. Hi, Paul. Howdy. I, I feel it's appropriate to say howdy because I'm from Las Vegas. I should be wearing my cowboy hat. I reserve <laughs> that for when the rodeo's in town, but I love wearing my cowboy gear. So howdy, ma'am. Howdy, howdy. <laughs> we have an incredible guest today, Lisa Lindo. She is a literary manager and producer and CEO of Rocket Surgeon Productions. Um, she has Elf, been she set that up, the movie Elf, represented the writer there and also um, set up Save the Last Dance. So we wanna talk about that and welcome Lisa. Hello, Lisa, I'm so happy that you are here. How are you, my love? I am wonderful, sweetheart. I am absolutely fantastic. And I'm looking forward to talking about ancient history and current history. Okay. <laughs> All right. So let's get right into it. Um, how, what about ancient, ancient history? Can you catch us up how you got into the business and all that good stuff? Absolutely. So um, I hate to think how old I am at this point, but it's true. Um, I started out a really interesting weaving sort of pattern. So when I graduated from UCLA, I thought I was going to go to law school. And I worked at Scadden Arp, Slate, Meager, and Flom. I had worked at law firms undergrad and, um, and Scadden right after I graduated. And I thought, this is it. They're going to pay for law school. This is exactly what I want to do. And um, every lawyer there said, you actually seem to have a personality and a life. And you would spend your entire life with others who want to argue for a living, maybe this, you, maybe you shouldn't do this. Maybe, maybe this would make you miserable. And at the same time, I was offered a position at Paramount. So I worked 40 hours a week at Scadden and I worked 40 hours a week at Paramount. Oh my gosh. How did you do it? It was right out of school. And you know, you do crazy hours at school. You're up really late, you're up really early. And so I still had energy and I would work nine to five at Paramount and six to 10 at night downtown at the law firm. And then 10 hours on Saturday and 10 hours at Sunday at Scadden, which is like arguably one of the largest law firms in the world. And I loved it, but you know, First of all, there were Klingons walking around on the lot because they were shooting a Star Trek film at Paramount. And secondly, I was working for, um, as a paralegal for the woman who was in charge of overseeing any cases of bankruptcy where local stations could not pay their licensing fees for all of the Paramount content that they had, Star Trek and Brady Bunch and all of the things that Paramount has in their library. And a writer's guild, a major writer's guild strike happened. This is like 88-ish. And uh, so stations all over the world, let alone all over the U.S., were going bankrupt. They were just not able to pay their bill because they didn't have any new content, so they couldn't pay for the rerun content. And um, so we went from overseeing three cases to overseeing over 300 cases. So I let Scadden go. And I worked full-time with overtime at Paramount and I loved working at Paramount. And I was in the Christmas chorus. Like I was an employee, I was in the union. You know what I mean? Like I loved being on the lot. I just loved it. And then um, I heard you can make more awful lot than on. And I interviewed for a job working for Norman Lear and I went there and, you know, Norman did Princess Bride and he had already done Stand By Me and Fried Green Tomatoes. And I worked for the head of television and film while I was there. And then while I was there, Norman went from owning the 
seventh largest theater chain in the United States and Act 3 Publishing, which had the largest collection of publications having to do with the entertainment industry, Guitar Magazine and Channels Magazine. And he had um, Act 3 uh, TV, where he had Marta Kaufman and David Crane, who went on to make friends and were working on Dream On at the time and an entire floor of writers. And he had offices in 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 um in uh, London and in Canada and in New York and in Nashville because he had Act Three Music and in LA and he went you know what I'm gonna I'm gonna get my I'm gonna get rid of all this and he literally divested himself of everything and it just ended up being Norman Lear, Marky Pollock, who I worked for, Norman's assistant, and myself, and that was it. So that was an incredible experience while they were doing Fried Green Tomatoes, an unbelievable hands-on experience that I wouldn't have had any other way. And Marky Pollock, who I worked for there, said, you know. You seem to, you really put together people really well. You might make a great agent. And for me at that point, agents were like the bottom of the food chain. They were like spoken about in negative ways, like by every place I'd ever worked. And so it was really interesting. And I'm like, I don't want to be an agent, but, you know, maybe working at an agency where you have an opportunity to touch base with everybody in the industry um, from a central point, maybe that wouldn't be so bad. And I I interviewed for a job uh, for the head of television packaging. It was one of the partners at Triad. Triad eventually was bought by William Morris. And um, while I was there, I worked with you know, everyone, Linda Carter, Carol Burnett, um, uh, um, like the most amazing collection of people while we were uh, prep shoot rap, prep shoot rap, um, uh, miniseries and, and movies of the week, because that was basically our department packaging. So we package a movie of the week, get it out, package a movie of the week, get it out. Um, and it was very, uh, I got to meet a ton of development people all over town, which is fantastic. And when I worked there, that was when I started the Fifth Network. And the Fifth Network was a very active, written up in the trades, covered by CNN networking group of uh, people who, well, you know, I'd worked at I'd worked at a studio where everyone, for the most part, is on the same side trying to make something great, and I worked for Norman Lee where everybody was on the same side trying to make something great, and now I was at Triad, and all of the assistants are competitive, very competitive, really, and they come through the mailroom. And so I didn't come through the mailroom. I went right into an inside desk because I had a lot of experience and he wanted someone that could run his Hollywood home and his parties and could run his set up a Malibu home and for parties during the summer and take care of furnishing it and, and, and catering and, and reading scripts at the same time and doing coverage and running his calls and all of the odd things that I happen to have in my in my skill list. And so I, and I said, I don't want the job. And so the price kept going up because agents, the one thing agents want more than anything is for you to say, if you say no, then they really want you. So I was like, no, no, I'm very happy with Norman Lear. And they just kept coming up and I'm like, all right, I'll take the gig. And that was fantastic. And then William Morris was about to buy out Triad after a few years. And my networking group was getting bigger and bigger because I'd worked with people that were very kind. And now I was working in a space where I felt like the other assistants were not necessarily very kind, not all of them, but most of them. And I started a networking group of people who you had to be nice or you couldn't come. I love that was that. the first thing. You had to be I nice, you that. couldn't come. You had to believe in responsible programming and making a difference in the entertainment industry. And so every month we would sit down for the sit down dinner for between 80 and 100 people. We had more than 600 members. I would rotate the list. A lot of development executives, almost no actors, um, writers, uh, directors, composers, a little bit of everything that could get a project done. And from that group, I'm responsible for not only a whole bunch of mergers, but a whole bunch of babies that are now going to college. So <laughs> that was really uh, an incredible time. I was a total matchmaker on every level level. Um, 
But I still, you know, uh, there were other agents at William Moore at Triad who said, you know, we're about to get bought up by William Morris. Nobody even knows yet because I worked for a partner, so I knew. And um, <clears throat> you're a woman. And women get promoted much less frequently. Remember, this is the 80s. Much less frequently than men. Uh, a man, if he gets engaged, they go, oh, he's got to support his family. He's going to work really hard. But with a woman, they think, you know, you're eventually going to get pregnant. They're going to lose you. They don't want to invest in you as an asset. Told this by a female agent at Triad. So maybe, I don't know if this is really what you want to do, especially here, because we're about to be bought up by William Morris. So they're going to get rid of a whole bunch of things and it's going to get even more competitive. So I um, went to ICM and I worked at ICM. And during this time period, I realized I want to start my own agency. So I was in TV as a, a working in, in TV talent for a while. And then I worked with Susan Smith in who owned her own agency in talent for a while. And this whole time I'm scheming about starting my own company. And then I worked with Barbara Streisand and Marty Erlkman was her manager. I believe he's still her manager. He represented her, her entire career, except for a little window in the middle. And I worked for him and I produced the first eight interactive games ever made anywhere for Sony um, before there were interactive video games. Um, so those are my odd credits that I've got. And then um, because you don't get credits when you're an agent. Um, and then I started my own company. And I started Acme Talent and Literary. And that was the most amazing ride. I was a CEO for a decade. We grew to be 18 agents in LA and three in New York. Um, we had clients that we represented for film and television. We had adults and kids and commercials and print and musical theater department. And during that time period, I set up Elf, which I was very proud of um, representing Baron Baum. And I set up Save the Last Dance, which had a sequel and they even tried to make a pilot of it. Um, uh, which was an incredible run. And we had so many incredible talent that came in and grew up through our agency. Um, not only agents that I loved working with that I still love to this day, Gwen Pepper and Steve Simon and so many other people that we worked with from the time that we started the company, but also um, people like um, Paul Dano, who was Paul Franklin Dano. And we represented him for musical theater. He wanted to do film. I found an independent film for him. I was extremely active at Sundance in all these years. And we got him into LIE. LIE got into Sundance and that was the beginning of his film career which has really taken off and he's incredible and so many people that have won Emmys or been nominated for Tonys or um or uh or or nominated for Oscars um I remember once going to the Academy Awards before I left the industry now I'm back and getting in line for the red carpet and the people in front of me were just happened to be my clients and the people behind me just happened to be my clients you know so uh so I really you know I, I love the run I left in 2003 to go do politics try and save the world it was like my next step in my journey and I did that and I worked for uh, for the uh my .baraccobama.com website, making the can groups for every county and parish in the United States, um, and worked as a journalist for a while. And then in 2016, something happened. Can't put my finger on it. It was like an election or something. And it was kind of a crazy time. And I thought, you know what, maybe politics is like, maybe it's some French word. I don't even understand. Maybe, maybe I just need to drop it and back away slowly, which is what I did. And I contacted old clients that I used to work with back in the day. Um, one of them was Edward Savio. And Edward, when I represented him, we sold four things in one year. Six figures, six figures, six figures, seven figures. Spec, pitch, spec, and a manuscript that he wrote that went for 1.2 million to Sony. And we set that up with, um, at the time, with uh, um, the woman who had just done um, Forrest Gump, right? So Wendy Feinerman. So we were like, 
on a high with him. So now it's many, many, many years later. And I contacted him like, I think I want to manage. Would you want me to manage you? He's like, hell yeah. So right away, we worked on a couple of novellas that he had already put out. We got notes from incredible people in the industry. We put it together into one book. Um, we set it up. We, I produced it as an audio book. We had Will Wheaton narrate. Um, it became a bestseller. It became um, an award winner. Then we did the second book with Will Wheaton in the series. And we are about to go into the studio with Ray Porter because we want to expand our fan base to do the third book. So we are very, very, very happy about where it's all going. We are working on thinking about bringing it to another medium as well. But uh, I like to be nice and close to the vest until things are actually set up. Um, and that is ancient history till now. And I say history because the books are all about history. So the books are all about um, a kid that's like 15 years old. He looks like every other 15 year old out there. He breaks out, he gets crushes on girls. Um, you know, he gets mood swings. He's a teenager, right? But he's one of about a thousand people on earth that take about a hundred years to age one year. So he's really 1500 years old. And with that much life experience, gives you a lot of time to learn a lot of things. And Edward, when he wrote these, wanted to teach his kids that if you just put in enough time, you can get great at anything. If you just put in enough time. So time to him was like a superpower. And he wanted to write a book about having a superpower. So he, he wrote this, this, the first novellas that became the first book. And then now it's becoming everything that it's becoming, which is so exciting. And what he did was he found these unbelievable moments in history where we've all been taught one thing real moments in history, but really it's a little askew. And so when we see our main character in a flashback in that time period, he shows us what really went down through his eyes and it makes you want to Google it. Like that didn't, that did happen that way. Wait, July 4th isn't July 4th. It's July 2nd. What? And so all kinds of like really interesting little tiny things that make you want to question history, which is a great skill to have, learn your own um, uh, skills in uh, in doing your own research, but really doing it with the right sources and, and knowing how important it is to learn from history so we don't repeat it. So especially in this time period, right? So that is ancient history to current history. Amazing. <laughs> that is amazing. Bravo. And, and Lisa, this is incredible what you have done. Everywhere you have been, you've changed things for the better, Lisa. And I want to applaud you on that. What an incredible career so far. And you're still doing amazing things. Congratulations on that. Over to you, Paul. Uh, no, I, I couldn't have said it uh, any, any better. That's amazing. Uh, and it's so good to know you because uh, I, I knew some of your history, but this is, uh, this is so much more. Now, did you say okay, I, your, your company was Acme, but did did uh, Norman Lear also have a company named Acme? Did I hear that no. correctly or no? Nope. One of his companies it was, was called Act Three. That's what I heard. Okay, I heard Act Three. Act Three. Okay, like the third okay. act of, of his career. <laughs> sure, sure. Wow, yeah. that's incredible that he divested himself and then then you were just able to work. And so still close. working. And still working now and still getting Lifetime Achievement Awards and still wearing that hat to that day. Wow. Yeah. Amazing. Amazing. Yeah, yeah and, he got an uh, award, I think it was last year for something and shouted out my old boss. It was wonderful. <laughs> wonderful. And, and I don't know if we want to go in this direction yet, but also your, your work in, in, in modern technology or if that's what you want to call it, but like NFTs and things like that. Oh, yeah. 
So yeah. I, I don't know if that's something, uh, AJ, that was on, on yes. the books or not. Yes, we want to talk about, can we mention the canacity.com? Sure. So now that I'm a manager, I manage not just literary clients, but companies as well. And so um, I started out managing and working with the Milan International Film Festival and then becoming a programmer. And now I'm the vice president of the Milan International Film Festival. And so for that, I look at films every year and talk to different companies about, um, you know, their opportunity for sponsorship as well. But primarily, I'm still programming. I'm still watching all the shorts. I'll, I'll deal with all the shorts and I'll watch all of the films that get to a final phase. So um, that's a Milan International Film Festival. I represent, um, uh, off and on, I, represent, I work with a company out of New York called the Groove Guild. We went to Sundance together, the last Sundance that humans could go to Sundance in person. And it was fantastic. And I introduced them to all the film people that I know and they've won Clio Awards and they were just a really great um, uh, music supervisor and uh, composing team uh, that's done all kinds of work from, they've done stuff for SpaceX, they've done stuff for Volkswagen, they've done you know independent films. They're really kind of great. Um, and I just Adore them as humans. Like I had the best time ever at Sundance with them. Um, and uh, I also have a company called Canacity. So Canacity is, um, uh, you know, there's so much going on in the 420 space. And I don't want to like own a marijuana farm. I'm not interested in, 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 in having a product, but I really love the, the culture. And I wanted to celebrate it and find a way to have a company that would make money in the 420 space, but wasn't dependent on uh, the actual product so that, you know, there's thieves, there's there's bugs that can destroy a crop, there's weather that can destroy a crop, there's mold that can, there's so many things that could go wrong. So we decided to go to the merchandise side and we collected images from a variety of artists within our stable. And then we work on it as it on a team and get it to where we want it. And they're all images of beautiful, fierce women. Smoking marijuana. However, we found that there were grandmothers in our midst that didn't want to promote smoking and they really love the images. So we also have a whole collection of non-smoking of the same images for them. And we print them on beautiful face masks. The whole, this is just such a canvas that doesn't get used sometimes during what we've been going through the last couple of years and t-shirts and lighters and bottles and bags. And if you could think of some merch to print it on, we print it on and we're in a bunch of dispensaries. And then of course, all of our friends um, on Clubhouse are really supportive, which is nice. And because we had that collection of art when nft you know and we had already built an art gallery in the metaverse a year ago today we had an art gallery up and running literally a year ago today wow, um, and yeah they had been talking about nfts at sundance and i talked to my partner in london who does all the merchant and and the actual design work to figure out because just because you have an image doesn't mean you know what it's going to be on a product so you have to like zoom in on a piece and zoom in on a piece and then you can really get a sense of what it is we're talking about hey did i ever send a package to you paul you did and i wanted to thank you for that because i did i did get it uh beautiful if, if, if i love i love the artwork it's amazing. Thank you. So, yeah, thank it's gorgeous. So, gorgeous. so it's really, really interesting stuff. And we didn't just do a regular lighter. We did like a USB lighter and stuff. So we have the art collection and we have an art gallery because my partner had an art gallery in the heart of London for 17 years. So an opportunity during COVID to create a digital art gallery was like no brainer. And he created the gallery that he would always want. And he has some of the other, I represent Des Taylor, who's a graphic novelist who does 
gorgeous, hot, sexy women and superheroes. And he's famous for his drawings of Superman and Spider-Man and, and, and every superhero you could think of um, and Wonder Woman. And he does them always in a different kind of contemporary sort of way and sort of pin up and, um, and his stuff is gorgeous. And so um, uh, we had his stuff up in the art gallery as well. And I was like, you know what, why don't we, why don't we talk about NFTs? And we put one FT up, NFT up and it went for two ETH like that. And because we set, we did that with original music from Groove Guild. So we did a video version of the image. So it moves. Um, as soon as we did that, we took the, the ETH that we got and we got a board ape. And so we're bored. We're sitting on a board ape today. The latest offer was for two, I believe if I look, I don't know if it'll still be there. We aren't even for sale. We aren't even for sale. Our board ape for anybody who knows it, if you don't know it, Google board ape NFT and you'll know everything you need to know. But our board ape as of this moment, which we bought for half an ETH, is has an offer for $222,985.22. That's a lot of twos, Paul. And it what, is 76 ETH. Was that ETH back then, a year ago? Because So it was ETH was worth a uh uh, I know exactly how much it was worth. It was like $2,094 when we got this. And ETH has been all over the place. It went up to 5,000 today. Sure. I think it was 2,900 the last time I checked. So it's more yep. than it was a year ago, but not as high as it's been because we have a world war going on and everything crashed everywhere. And still it's 222,000. So it could easily, the 76 ETH that they're offering could easily double and this could be half a million dollars. So, um, just saying. That's and, and you were one of the first ones, really. Uh, I, I remember coming in clubhouse to be blabbing about it, and, and and we were talking about it and talking about it, and so uh, finally, I uh, found a project to get behind, and and I'll, I'll DM you about oh, yeah. that. Yeah. The the the, the FN guy, F F K N, the FN guy. I love uh, it. So, I love it so, already, just from the name. That's people are kind of going crazy over it. So I would love for you to somehow get involved, whether. We can get you involved or on board. I would love that. I, I, I can't believe I'm, I'm shilling here on your and interview. Okay. But Look, you, Paul, you were... it's the nature of, of who, <clears throat> the good thing about Clubhouse is it allowed us this safe space for all of us to shill to each other. Like, yeah. That's true. You know, it was like a really safe space for you to come in and go, okay, so this is what I'm doing because everybody wants to know. So of course I want to know, Paul, I'm a fan. Yeah, and, and but you were instrumental <laughs> in getting me you know, in, in front of NFTs and, and really being excited about them and, and even doing that with my comedy or, you know, spoken word before I think any, any anyone else was really doing all that. I mean, or at least, you know, because it was like a year Videos, ago. At I, the I, beginning, they were like, oh, you can't do a video. There's not enough space. And now they're like doing movies with it. So yeah, yeah. it's a very exciting space. So Canacity, we did. We did the books. We did um, uh, um Groove Guild. So you get the idea that I will, you know, I'll bring a company on and just work with them to get where they want to go, basically, if they had, don't have connections in a certain area, or, um, you know, if they're just trying to expand or do something different. So, and then I spend a lot of time on my phone, kindly taking calls from people who just need a little advice. 
Lisa, you're amazing. You know, you are so inspiring to me and you know, you're you're empowering because you're you're a leader. You're one of the leaders and and you know, we were talking about this the other day about action-oriented people and you're you're also one of those leaders. Action-oriented, you lead and you show by example with your high professional standards and I love that. Thank you so much, Lisa, for yeah, who you are. Yeah, it's funny when I when I first started that fifth network group um, and it grew and it grew and it grew. I was written, I said I was written up in the trades a bunch. So the very first time I was mentioned in a trade was the variety, weekly variety. And they talked about one networking group and they talked about another networking group. And then the whole last column and a half was about me. And it ended, the article ended with someone qu quoting about me saying, you know, when you're seen as a leader amongst your peers, you know, that's how you succeed. And for some reason, it's always been that way. Whether I'm at Sundance and people are like, okay, Lisa, where are we going? What are we doing? Or whatever it is, um, you know, being able to be perceived as someone who has command of their space makes yeah. all the difference in the world. And back before there was Google, being a phone call away from knowing somebody was like a really big deal. So it's been a very interesting ride um, going from being the keeper of a bunch of information and then it's switching to the kind of information that you need to keep to be valuable versus what anybody can get now. So it's really, it's just kind of interesting. At the end of the day, what you have that is yours alone is your taste and your insight so that you can help people with story. And, 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 and that's the one thing that they can't replicate it on Google. And, and, and Lisa, I mean, you said something very interesting there. And I, you know what, I may be able to Google a phone number and get that information but it's not you giving me that phone number or making that connection with that person. Yeah. So, you know, it, it's invaluable, the context that you've made, uh, the, you know, the, 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 that you've cultivated, because if I needed something, I mean, I could, like I said, I mean, I can go on IMDb Pro, look up a you know, person's name, number, who represents them. But now I, I could call them. I'll never, probably never get a call back. But if I go through you, I probably well, we, would, or they might call me because you're like, Paul needs to talk to you. Yeah, you two yeah. to me. Well, you're absolutely right. The thing is, is that I deal with people all the time who are like, just make the connection. You know the people, just make the connection. It doesn't matter right. if you don't really no. like the product, just introduce me. And they don't realize how sterling your, your suggestions need to be to keep that line of communication open and valuable. So if I have a bidding war every time I go out with something, then when I go out with something, it's saying something about that material. And you can't just, you, you know, say, oh, yeah, you know, I don't know this guy, I don't know what he's written, but sure, here, meet him. Like you just cannot. And you'll have people get really pissed at you. They're like, why won't you just make that call? Why won't you just suggest me? Why won't you just, you know, and it's like, well, I don't like your project. <laughs> You know, oh, I am it. not the person that's going to be, well, someone else will like it. And so it's just interesting how people can not get what those connections mean. I just no, appreciate you so much being be, coming behind Paul and I and supporting us coming on of here. Course. This is just such, a, I'm so happy. I'm so very happy. You're one of the top, top Hollywood uh, Sundance and um, film professionals. Isn't that right, Paul? A hundred percent. So yeah. yeah, it's an it's an honor. As far as you guys know, <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> it's an honor and a pleasure to know you. Yeah. It really, oh, is. I love you, Paul.
And I know I love you, AJ. You're good people. I'm so happy for your first show. Uh, I I mean, for your own show, I guess you'd say. This is not your first show, but your your own show. Very, very worthy. You're great at this. You're wonderful. And you know, Paul, I've I've been a fan since the first time you wandered into a room that we were having and got introduced. I thought, this guy is just delicious. I love him. And if anybody's in Vegas and you don't know, you still have your shop? I'm doing a lot of stuff online and I'm, I'm pivoting. So, so yeah, that's still kind of up in the air. Okay, cool. Yeah. And yeah, Paul, Vegas is such an odd thing right now. Yes. And I, and I want to say, Paul, if you ever want to bring a cigar in and just do a commercial right on here, please. I will. You know what? I will, I will do that. You got one handy. You could just grab. <laughs> <laughs> I, I might. Well, I, I, I you know what? I don't know That's if I should. Him on the I mean, spot, this, but you know he's such I, a I don't know if I really should. This isn't this isn't the spot. This isn't the time for it. But uh, if I it have to, it isn't the. <laughs> We're sharing it with you, Paul. And where can they get that? VatoCigars.com, or, or Paul. If you just go to Paul Vato or Vato, PaulVato.com, it'll take you to all of my social media. And this one's a little beat up because I think I've used this already a few times on here. But yeah, Vato Cigars. Beautiful. There thing. you go. Vato Cigars. So if you're having an event and those don't show up, what kind of event are you really having? You need <laughs> these for your event. You need them. And they're exactly. invisible too. Look. It's, <laughs> That's it's good. Oh my God. They're like Harry Potter cigars. This is unbelievable. <laughs> oh, we're having such a good time here. That's high tech. I did want to ask you, Lisa, um, we have a, a poster here of Elf. Can you share with us a little bit about that, your role in Elf and the enjoyment of it? Any favorite um, memories from it or fun facts? just was wonderful to be able to represent some writers when I first started that. I mean, I know for sure that that Berenbaum was kind of in a place, he tells this story a lot, where he was thinking of giving up being a writer. And, uh, you know, to be able to get somebody, you know, one as, a, as an agent, one of the things that I used to do is I would not only go out with a script, but if it did not sell, or even if it did, I would get notes from every single person that got the script and set up a meeting with everybody who wanted to meet with that writer. So that writer instantly made a million connections. So it wasn't just like going in to pitch something specific, you know, and a series of pitch meetings. It was also, if I went out with a spec and it went, and I went, used to go very wide, like 60 people would take a look at that script on a Thursday. And on Friday, we would know what studios were going into. Right. So, um, so it was, it was a big, big deal for, for me to go out with something. And so wouldn't it be nice if that writer actually got to meet 60 different production companies and make relationships with them. And so that's, that's what I did. And that isn't necessarily, you know, the case anymore, not, you know, you you don't necessarily, and even, even then it wasn't usual. Um, You know, your agent sends out your script and they sell, sell it or they don't sell it. Doesn't necessarily mean that they made connections with you with absolutely everybody in town. And then I would ask to speak to the writer immediately after he got out of a meeting, because when you're doing a million of these, they all start to blend together. And we would make a, they would already have had, about three ideas from all of their ideas that we would have worked together and distilled down so that they could tell the people in the room, these are the next three things I might be working on. One of these three things is what I'm going to work on next. And the development executive would go, I want, I'd like to see that one when it's ready. And so when they got out, I would get that and we would have a list and whichever list was longer of who, you know, who wanted it. If this one had 30 people, that was, that was the longest list. 
That was the one we were going to go out with next. That's the one that they were going to actually spec out right next. Um, so being able to use that information for everybody. And then people had it on their radar, like, it's going to come, it's going to come, we're waiting for it, we're waiting for it. And I would be able to sneak a first draft out to people for notes um, and then get those notes to my writer and then go out with something that we've gotten like three different opinions and gotten some feedback already on. Um, and that's a little more polished before we went out with it. So I, I mean, I... I love working with writers just because when I look at a piece of material, whether it's a book, I've edited a bunch of books at this point, um, or it's or it's a screenplay, just like, you know, when you look at headshots and you've looked at thousands and thousands and thousands of headshots because we represented so much talent, it becomes really easy. And if you've never looked at a shoot before and you it's it's overwhelming, it's like pages and pages and they all look kind of similar. Blah, 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 blah. And you can, all you could do is maybe get rid of the ones you can see are clearly horrible and all the rest kind of look the same. But once you look at headshots all the time, it's all, it, it's, excuse the pun, it's like black and white. You can definitely see best picture, best picture really kind of quick. Mm -hmm. um and uh i remember the very first time rob lee was a partner at try and handed me a set of of his head his headshots they'd taken his shots and to ask me what i thought and it was just overwhelming well it's the same thing with scripts and, and books at this point i can look at it and right away see what i would fix and how i would change it because i've been an editor for so long um it's very difficult for me to read something that isn't right and not want to just surgically that's why we're rocket surgeon productions. And also because my father was a rocket scientist, his career. So we just lost my father. We named the company before that after him. Um, and because I represent comedy writers. Um, but it's really hard for me not to want to just dig in and immediately fix the problem. Like that's the hardest part, I think, when you've been an editor for as long as I have, to be able to read something, know what you need to do is fix it, even something like typos um, or grammar or something, and not, and hold yourself <laughs> back and just give feedback and not like go look I did you a favor here's an edit take it you know which I've definitely I've done that before I've done that I, I did that for a friend for a book he gave me his book and the first six chapters were just a mess and I rewrote them and I gave them to him and he goes and I said just thank me later and he said you know thank you really I'm with a publisher and they have an editor but thank you and then he turned in what I gave them the first six chapters of what I wrote and the next six chapters of what he had. And they said, this book is amazing, but what happened after the first six chapters? Were these just like <laughs> your notes or something? Did you not give us the right thing? And he came back and was like, here's somebody, please finish my book. Yeah, yeah, 100%. <laughs> amazing, amazing. Thank you for giving yeah. us an insight into the creative process because as a producer and as a writer, because that's the behind the scenes, what goes on. And yeah, I bet, I mean, what happened? They wanted you, Lisa. They wanted you to finish the book. Well, he he was just like, oh, oh yeah, maybe I did give you the notes. And then he ran back to me and was like, here, here, please. You know, <laughs> because it was, it was a really, it was a really interesting piece. He had done a, a doc, loosely a doc. And, um, and he, he was doing the novelization of it. And in the documentary, he interviewed a lot of people. And in the book, he just wrote their answers without the questions and without any story weaving it along, just the answers to the interviews. And that didn't make any sense. It isn't a book. And so I just wove together this whole story about his growth and how he changes a person and and what and what he what he encountered when he first got to the interview settings and how those words affected him. And I just made it all up. And um and he's like, this is great. <laughs> uh -huh. That's an amazing ended up using it. So notice that's I an amazing story. 
I love that so much. And, um, you know, we're coming uh, to a close in a few minutes. It's gone so fast. I want to thank you so much, Lisa. But there's a couple things I wanted to um, talk to you about. Number one, I would like to know an update on, because you're the queen of Sundance, I'd like to know an update on Sundance. And then yeah, also, how, how can people follow you? And then we'll go over to Paul. Okay. Over to you, Lisa. All right, so Sundance this year was going to be a half virtual, half in-person, and it became just virtual. A lot of people went anyway just to meet up, but it really is not the same. And so we are crossing our fingers. They tried very hard. I mean, they, they were going to set up stations where anybody who wasn't boosted could get boosted on the spot. But really, in hindsight, like that only, like it takes a few days to get into effect and people get side effects. So it really was kind of like a crazy idea, right? Because you'd get your booster and then maybe not be that functional and suddenly the festival's over anyway. So um, of course, by next year, anybody who has gotten their shots, it was going to get a booster will have had it by next January, right? And we're just crossing our fingers, but there's, yeah. they, they do a lot at Sundance. They have screenings throughout the year in different places and they have panels throughout the year in different places and they all around the world um, and they share the films in other places. Um, uh, I can tell you that Mass, which was not in this year's festival, but the year before, is which, with our good friends from uh, Clubhouse, J.P. Ouellette and Dylan Matlock, uh, yesterday won Best Screenplay from the Hollywood um, Critics Association, I believe is that film festival, that awards, whatever. And they continue to win awards. I'm so incredibly proud of them. Um, and uh, I think that I'm just praying that everything will that they'll come up with a pill that you can take for a certain number of days. Yeah. And then you're done. Yeah. I you're would done. love that. Yep. Yeah. Not so much for prophylactically, but like if you get it, you just take this pill and it's over. And when that happens, yeah, we'll, we'll Sundance will be back and Milan will be back and all of uh, the things that we've been part of uh, that either had to go virtual or, you know, we've, I, I said this before, we've lost about a third of our film festivals and we've lost so many actual physical theaters over the last couple of years. We don't focus on it, but it's really very very, very sad to be in this business and to have lost as much as we have. Um, so that's the Sundance answer. And the way to follow me is I am, what am I? I don't even know. Am you're I, on, I'm Lindo, on, I'm I Lindo am... exclusive on, uh, I'm Lindo exclusive on Instagram. I'm Lisa Lindo on Twitter. I'm Lisa Lindo, probably the first one that comes up on Facebook. Um, go to thecanacity.com and find something wonderful to give somebody, thecanacity.com, which would be great. And if you if you use the code thank you 25 you'll get 25% off. I'll give that today, which is great. Um, if anybody writes to me, if they DM me at Lindo Exclusive and they follow me on Instagram, I have at least 10 copies of Alexander X, the first in the Battle for Forever series that Will Wheaton narrated, 10 that I would be willing to gift you. So all I needed is an email and to write to me through Lindo Exclusive on Instagram and follow me and say, I'm in, here's my email and I will gift you a copy of that book. Um, and I think that's it. Um, I am, uh, I'm easily findable those ways. And yes, I am on IMDb, but do you follow people on IMDb? No, uh, I, I I do I well I yes you can I think you can hit the plus to add to your list on IMDb or you can watch uh, these people on IMDb Pro. So right. I'll do that if I audition for someone. Yeah, if or everyone who listens to this just goes to IMDb Pro and looks me up for one moment, I will jump up on the star meter. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, <it's> everybody. <laughs> 
And you're also, uh, I do want to give a shout out to Patricia Chica. You also have a room, a clubhouse room with her. Um, and it's called. Which will be today, actually, um, this evening at six o'clock. We are, uh, now it's called Film Festival Mastermind, I believe. And tonight we are interviewing Brevin from a film festival and Greg Dougherty from uh, from Getty Images, talking about, you know, uh what to do at film festivals and how to get around and how to work with a Getty Images photographer if you have an event so that you can get the most coverage possible. Wonderful. And it's under Clubhouse Nublis Oblige. Is that correct? New, it's Nublis Oblige. Nublis oh. Oblige. But I think we, we should me. share the room with two clubs. So if anybody doesn't know Clubhouse, you're going to have to learn. Um, but in Clubhouse, there's different clubs. And I have Noblesse Oblige. Oblige. Um, Noblesse Oblige, which comes from a time period when those in England were trying to be fancy and speak oh. French. And um, <laughs> it is a responsibility of nobility to share what they know with others. Um, and so that's what we do. We share the knowledge that we have with people who may not know as much as we do in the entertainment industry. And um, But it's also shared with the Chi Energy Club, as Patricia Chica uses Chi Energy in her directing. And she gives classes where she teaches actors how to use chi energy when they work. And I believe this week we'll be under the chi energy club. Not sure. I think so. Yes. And I'm going to be there tonight. And I encourage everybody to also do that on Tuesdays. I think it's once a month. Is that right, Lisa? We switch to once a month instead of every week. We've been doing every week for about a year and, you know, we're busy people. Yeah. So I want to thank you. I, we love you so, so much. So very, Lisa, over to you for final thoughts, Paul, and then over to Lisa for final thoughts. And then over to you, Paul. Wonderful. No, th thank you. Uh, Lisa, I, I feel like I've gotten to know you even more so because uh, we were able to do this. And I feel like I'd already known you uh, being on Clubhouse. But uh, this this uh, interview was eye-opening. For some reason, I didn't know that you were still what representing people and, and artists and, I mean, you know, uh, lit and whatnot, because I do have a script that I would <laughs> love to uh, send you away. And please show it to everybody. No, I'm kidding. Uh, but I, I, I would I would love that and then to talk to you about some projects that we're doing on Clubhouse. So if you don't mind, yeah, I will, anytime, I will anytime, you know, I'm I an know. open. I know. Yeah. Anybody I send a gift to. <laughs> and they're That's beautiful. an open channel. I wish I had them here handy so I could show them to you. I, 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 I wish I did, too. Everything's up in Oregon. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, they are beautiful. When I was a second, I'll take maybe some photos and put them up on social media so people can see how beautiful uh, the artwork is and, oh, and utility. Thank you. Yeah. No, yeah. Right. It's actually things you could use. The, the, um, I will say I'm in LA right now for, so for anybody listening and you're in LA, I know I'm not where you are right this minute, but I wish I was, and I wish we were networking and cocktailing and eating and being in public and all those things I'm afraid to do still. Um, but I'm doing it with you in spirit. Wonderful. Yes. We love Thank that. We love that. And we love you very, very much, Lisa. Thank you again for a wonderful show. You make everything better. Can I say that? <laughs> you make everything better. Like butter. Like butter. Like butter. <laughs> and so until we meet again, Lisa. I dropped my fan. Oh. I can't <laughs> You're a fan. I love it. <laughs> or I, can, I can go get it. <laughs> we are fans of you, Lisa. So we, we love you very much. love it. Very, very he's much. Gonna go, Paul's gonna go find a band. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everybody. Oh, oh I'm with go. a band. You're... That's to be the best part of my day. I love this. 
I wish you nothing but continued success, you two. I'm sure this show will be doing very well for a very long time. Thank you so much, Lisa. That means the world to us, and we love you. Until we meet again, much love and respect. Au revoir. Au revoir.